Are dents and scratches putting a dent in your day? Introducing Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide, your trusted solution for automotive woes. With over two decades of expertise, Rogerstein Crash Repairs guarantees top-notch service, restoring your vehicle to its former glory in no time. From minor dings to major collisions, our skilled technicians handle it all with precision and care using state-of-the-art equipment and techniques. Rogerstein Crash Repairs saved my car. It looks brand new. Fast, friendly and reliable. I wouldn't trust anyone else with my vehicle. Don't let accidents slow you down. Visit Rogerstein Crash Repairs Adelaide at 14 Penner Avenue, Glind for quality service you can count on. And here's a special offer just for our listeners. Mention this podcast and receive a $100 discount on your repair. Roger Steen Crash Repairs Adelaide. Excellence in every repair. Previously, Previously. on the Game On Podcast. From a local league perspective, I reckon the best story was Scott Ninnis going back to South Adelaide and coaching them to the men's, what do they call it now? I shouldn't, the premier competition. I'll think of the name as we're going along. Legendary South Australian basketballer, one of the greats for the Adelaide 36ers, went and coached them for a couple of years when they were at their lowest ebb, was moved on after two years and really looked like he was never going to get back into basketball. And I reckon it was his wife, Rebecca, who was also a basketballer just nudged him in the ribs and said, look, South Adelaide need a coach. Why don't you go and have a crack at it? And so he did, and he coached South Adelaide to a premiership that I don't think any of them thought was in their wheelhouse, certainly in the short term. I reckon they've probably been around about 25 years since their last premiership. I'd have to go back and look at that. But that was just an absolutely tremendous story from a local league perspective. Sportscast SA presents Game On. Game On. South Australia's destination for everything sports. Local, national, and international sports. AFL football, soccer, basketball, golf, baseball, tennis, cricket, and any other sports played in this wide world. And we're going to have a blast doing it. So sit back, relax, and let's do this thing. Welcome to Game On. Welcome to Game On. My name's Pete Matthews. I'm once again joined by Malcolm Ashwood. And last week we were speaking to Ben Hook about a couple of local teams. And 25 years is a fair fair, uh, gap between winning premierships. I think uh, Darcy Evans arriving at South Adelaide. We've mucked around calling him the difference, so Darcy doesn't mind that nickname. Um, yeah, hooky certainly across all sports. You Absolutely, can't, uh, it was you know it was interesting to see how much he was how diversified he was. Yeah, and uh, obviously we want to open it up to the listeners to comment on our Facebook page about their local club and how long it's been since their last premiership, and we might look to get a couple of those interviews on. I reckon. Yeah, why not? All right, let's get into it. Good call. Around the grounds. Kick off today, we're going to have a little bit of a look at tennis. The John Newcomb medal has been run and won. Uh, the soccer of the World Cup and the A-League. But, mate, we're going to kick off today with uh, some cricket, some local cricket. The BBL kicks off tonight. Yeah, they're home, the... the uh the team in blue in terms of a home tonight, starting their campaign against the Sixers. Yep, uh, yep. We, we sat here last night yeah. actually in a brilliant opening game of, of the series. We kept tossing and turning as to who was going to win. I think Adelaide are in a reasonably good position. They've recruited reasonably well. I, I'm really looking forward to having a look at Henry Hunt. Yeah, I don't think he'll start. No. Um, Chris Lynn's obviously going to be interesting to see how he goes. Yeah, Personally, I wish it was just state based. I can't deny myself in that regard. I, I, when we when we won a couple of years ago, it was sort of like, oh, okay, see ya. Where for me, if South Australia won the Shield, yep. you know, that's huge. So yeah, I mean, it's a franchise based I'm, I'm, system. I'm older. I yeah, it's a franchise based system, and they've yeah. tried to diversify it almost like the uh, the Indian Premier League, where you know players can be pulled from anywhere to play. 
I think it has its advantages, but then also there are some disadvantages as well. And I'm assuming we'll get a reasonable crowd tonight being the first game of the year. And I'll be honest, Dizzy predicted this way before it happened. Yeah, we'll say in that way. So, yeah. Mate, we'll stay on cricket for a little bit. Steve Smith's comments after the first test about David Warner was quite an interesting listen at the time. Look, it's interesting. I think we as Australians were, a lot of us were bang gung ho on. Warner and Bancroft. I personally aren't anywhere near as hard with Steve Smith. I get it. That he's like, geez, I've had a guts for it. I don't want to hear about yep. it. I actually understand that. Yep. But look, realistically, it was a one one game suspension according to ICC rules, and yet we gave a year, yep. a lifetime ban, and we're the only ones who seem to take it seriously. So maybe are we going overboard? Let's just say I may, you know, maybe talking to someone in cricket and want it. The easy way around it was, yeah, you're eligible, and then you just don't appoint him captain. Yep. Could have yeah, solved the problem yeah. quite early. I mean, really, in re- in realistic terms, you know, should David Warner be captaining his side going forward? I mean, we've got some good young up-and-coming players that you would probably want to put them in the role or somewhere close to the role. We don't need to go back to the future. So, um, Australia-wise, I don't see any point whatsoever. Yep. Look, really, the other thing, if you captain the Thunder, who really cares? Yep. And and the last one was, you know, why does Australia have such an advantage uh, for day-night tests? I've I got a twofold thing on that. I think it's a little bit they've been lucky with the toss. I've got a theory that I believe the toss should be done away with international cricket and the visiting team chooses and people out there think yeah, it's a bit weird, whatever. You remember, let's go back the old traditional Australian tour. A team had arrived, they'd play, the, they'd play a warm-up game, a social game at Lilac Hill in Perth, then they'd play WA, then South Australia. Quite often New South Wales, then Queensland, or at the very least Queensland. There'd be three proper warm-up games, mm-hmm. and they were against state opposition, and the state guys were fair income because yep. that was considered the next step up, where now it's a Mickey Mouse game. Whoever's not playing in the other games plays that, Yes, and it just means nothing. And one game... Then you better bet on Australian wicket. So I, you know, I think that's a, that's a big part of it. Look, if you had West Indies have batted first, okay, so they made two hundred two fifty, and then they at least started to bowl under the lights. Could have been at least it would, might have been a contest. Absolutely. On a little bit of a side note, and we don't have it in don't have it in our notes here today, but you know the Pakistan England test was like bowling on a road. Yeah, and then England just. The baseball approach and let's go out and smash it and look, full credit to England. You can't knock yep. what they're doing. Absolutely. So, yeah, some interesting concepts there for sure. AFL. Yeah. Gags to can't James Gallagher to depart the Saints to move back to SA. Yeah, I had a little bit of a read on that yesterday. A bit of a surprise that, that he's leaving for no other reason other than coming back to SA. So, yeah. Yeah, look, Gags' children are growing up. I think the family have made the call to be around everyone back here. Yep. I, th- I honestly think that's purely and simple that they've gone. He's yep. had, it, you know, he's had a couple of years at it. Yep. Had the taste. It's time to come back. Absolutely. Do you see him maybe picking up a role here in SA, or is it more more back for family and business? Look, I think Gags would like to still be involved in footy, but he is pretty high. Up. He's qualified. Very. He was very high up in yep. the financial game. Yep. With Macquarie, so I dare say there's plenty of avenues for James can go down. Absolutely. Mate, the Corns and Walker blow-up is at it once again. Yeah, a bit disappointing. I don't really see the point of it on both of their accounts. Just don't think it's achieving anything. It seems to be they're both getting great publicity out of it, maybe for all the wrong reasons, but, yeah, it's just a it's a weird one. Yeah. It's a really weird one. Look, yeah, I don't get it. Move on. That's my, my point about it. Yep. Uh, the draw. Yeah, it's been rated like every year. You know who's got the easiest draw, who's got the hardest draw. Uh, I read with some interest that you know Port Adelaide and Sydney have sort of got a, a reasonably tough draw, which I find a little bit hard considering Geelong were <laughs> by far and away the, the better team. Yeah, and look, I still think a lot of that's guesswork too. You, you're predicting what teams are going to fall off. And, you know, yes, I think last year if you got the easy draw was if, if you managed to get North Melbourne – and West Coast twice. That yep. was the real easy bit. Yep. Where, who knows? So I, 
always take those things with a bit of a grain of salt. I mean, we start the start of the season, everybody on zero points, yeah. and everyone's uh, had a brilliant pre-season. So, you know, it's it really gets down to injuries and a little bit of yeah. luck as well. So, yeah. you know, it's very hard to to predict a hardest and easiest draw at the moment. But, you know, there would be a couple of teams like a North Melbourne and a West Coast a little bit and a, and a Hawthorne that you would think, you know, they're in that rebuilding phase yeah. uh, or at the beginning of a rebuilding phase. Um, whereas your teams like Geelong are rebuilding a little bit on the run once again and doing it quite well, and, and Port you would expect would be around the mark as well. Yeah, and look, Port, get another home game effectively out of this. Yep. Uh, so I do think their squad's too good not to move forward, so yep. yeah, let's wait and see. No worries. Gather round. Yeah, the fi- draw's been finalised. Uh, we, we talked about it briefly last week with the round one being published on the World Cup Sunday, and... Uh, the remainder of the rounds were done a few days later and obviously round five, I think it is, here in SA yes. and a couple of games here in Nor- at Nordoval. Yeah, which uh, James Ace gets a homecoming game. Um, so, yeah, hopefully he keeps up his record. He's yet to play in a losing game at Nordoval, James. So hopefully he continues that. Well, Fremantle were reasonably impressive yeah. last year, so you'd, you'd expect them to go on with it a little bit. How do you think they're going to handle the dimensions of Nordoval? Because it is a, an, an interesting ground to play at times. It's more just that little bit short. Um, it's not so much the narrowness. It's, yep. I think that's a gets a bit overrated, personally. It's but, a little bit like Geelong. It has its idiosyncrasies yeah. that, you know, if you, you know the ground reasonably well, you can use it to your advantage. It's certainly a game where you can clutter it up, contest, contest, contest. Yep. But maybe the AFL's slightly better skill levels, probably raises that above SNFL anyway. So, And it's not like they're going to have played the ground and learned those sort of things off by heart like yep. Nord did under under uh, Twig this year. Absolutely. And uh, obviously we originally thought there was probably going to be a game up at Nuri, but that's been changed to Mount Barker. Yeah, it's an interesting one, isn't it? It's certainly not – you can't really consider it a country game. No. Um, look, I think the ground up there is fantastic. Yep. You know, we've spoke spoken on a previous episode about whether a uh, district side should relocate up there because it's the same dimensions as Adelaide Oval. Yep. But, yeah, I'm um, – I would have preferred a game somewhere in the country. Yeah, certainly, Nuri would have been putting up their hand, obviously, for uh, the Barossa to get some tourism out of the game as well. Pete Malinowskis, I think, said on radio, I believe, that if they do get another chance at the gather round, that they would definitely look at putting a game out there. And I sort of feel sorry for the Barossa a little bit, or, or McLaren Vale even would have been really, really good just to get those people out in the country. Yeah, it's you, you almost would have thought, well, is a game at Norlunga... And then you've got McLaren Vale from there. Is that more of a turret? But then Mount Barker, I suppose, you've got Handorf and yep. that around. So yeah, I think it works. And, and maybe one day we might get a team up there uh, in the SNFL. You never know. Who knows? You never know. All right, mate, we move on to baseball. The Adelaide Giants, we talked about them winning eight in a row last week. Well, they've played four games and guess what? They've yeah. won four more. Yeah, extraordinary at the moment. Big gap series this game against Perth. You know, they lost the last series 3-1 against, you know, against Perth. So, injury to the catcher, flying back to the Americas, not great news. Yeah, so. I think they're trying to get him ready for the start of the MLB season. Yeah. So, you know, I can understand that. I mean, a lot of players that are coming out here are, are doing it in their off-season yeah. and for experience, so I can totally understand that. But 12 wins in a row, you know, that's 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 huge from an Australian baseball point of view that a team has now not only broken the record but gone gone past it. Um, you know, and the quality of competition at the moment is good. So, you know, yeah. they're stacking up really, really well. I'm actually heading out to the game on yeah. Friday night, so hoping to catch a player or two for an interview at some stage and we can bring that over the Christmas break as well. Go. All right, mate, we're going to take a quick break. After the break, we've got a little bit of the soccer, but we're also going to have a quick talk to Sean Tasker in our past players and past legends segment, which we've changed from five good minutes. Yes, yes, a little bit more accurate. Absolutely. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. So the tennis, the Newcomb medal, Barty again. Thoughts, yeah, mate? Yeah, I, it's an interesting one. We, we slightly discussed it a little bit last week. I mean, she certainly was the form player of 21-22, even though she retired, obviously, after the Australian Open. But, you know, Kyrgios sort of had a little bit of a a, a point, I suppose, that, you know, he, he did improve quite a lot this year and 
seemed to take his game to another level, but I think Barty was always going to be the best choice. He did make a Wimbledon final, and I think it's a bit ridiculous how much we put a pedestal, because if he wins it, there's no case he wins, and he comes runner-up. He did win more matches, more titles than the year. I think probably the point was he wasn't the right person to bring it up. Yep. Uh, That's not generally the Australian way. Yes. So I think if someone else had brought it up from tennis, he probably would have got more of a uh, a hearing out of it. Yep, absolutely. Even though Kyrgios didn't win the Nuka medal, he actually got a pretty good praise from the ATP Tour in the doubles. Him and uh, Tanasi Kokonakis actually won the best doubles combination for the year. So he's been around the mark, obviously, in the singles and the doubles. Maybe a turning point, but... Who knows, it's an ember that's waiting to just blow up at any stage. But if he can keep his cool a little bit, he's a great player. Ability's never the question. Absolutely. Obviously, moving on to soccer, mate, we'll, we'll do the World Cup first. We've got two se- soccer subjects here to talk about, and we'll do them back-to-back. First things first, upsets galore in the World Cup at the moment. Oh, it's been an, an incredible tournament. Look, for all the bit of, I think all of us were guarded about being in Qatar. Yep. But overall, I think it's been, you know, some pretty incredible results and sort of shows again with soccer, we call soccer. Yep, some or the world like game, yes. Calling it soccer. Yep, and the so world game. Should be saying football, yeah, but the world, world game. Yep. It probably does show where it is a remarkable game that it can be such fine lines with soccer and that so a team can dominate but still lose. So yep. it's a fascinating game. It's been a great tournament. Look, I still think it'll be... Uh, you fancy a, a France final, but let's wait and see. Morocco, obviously, being the Cinderella story of the World Cup so far. I mean, Australia were well and truly up there and, and probably a little bit unlucky not to push your Argentina all the way. I mean, we talked about the goal goalkeeper Howler yeah. and the and the shot on goal late in the game that, you know, is a yeah. couple inches higher, a couple inches lower, and, and it probably equalises. So, yeah, very interesting. Also, we picked Brazil at the beginning of the tournament or the first couple of stages. That's our second failure on tips, mate. So anybody listening out there, do not listen to our tips going forward. Oh, so it's, yeah, it's France-Argentina, isn't it? Yes, it, it is. predicted final. Well, I'll tip France, so you probably, yeah, Argentina's uh, a certainty. I'll, I'll pick Argentina. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe it'll be a nil-all draw. Yeah. Mate, we'll stay on soccer. Yeah, incredible. The A-League decision to host all finals in Sydney, all the grand finals in Sydney for the next three years, all the finals. Yeah, strange decision trying to, as they said, create culture. You can't do things like other sports. Uh, you know, yes, the AFL has everything at the MCG, but you know that's pretty much where it's been for 150 years. So It is a bizarre decision. Look, we've got to look there. They've been... It's, Apparently around the twelve million mark, so you can understand that they've gone. Shit, the game's probably under a fair bit of financial problems. Here's our chance to solve it financially, but I just don't think they haven't thought it through. And the backlash has just been massive, and it's only getting bigger. It's I just think it's a crazy decision. It's showing the the finals get a good crowd. The home, you know, fifty thousand here at Adelaide Oval, yes, fifty six thousand over in WA. It's worked. Yep. And yet, all of a sudden... I think the decision, certainly from a financial point of view, makes sense, but I think it's a little bit of panic on their behalf in that they they didn't need to do this without, obviously, contacting their stakeholders, which is the fans. And the fans are basically going, no, we're not having this. And even to the point where some club presidents are walking out going, I'm out. I'm I'm not going to be around for this. 50,000, okay, it's not 100 bucks, but let's make it easy as a thing. That's five point six million. Well, twelve million for the for three years. So it's on the surface, yeah, you can go financially, but you can also query it. It's I, I, just overall, it's a bizarre decision. It's not reading the room. It's not reading where the landscape is. Yep. That it's not AFL footy. It's nowhere near as big as that. Yep. It's just a crazy lunatic decision. I mean, that's almost like cricket saying we're going to play everything at the SCG because that's the best ground. Yeah. It doesn't make sense at all. You need to be able to share these things around. Yeah, it's a very, very interesting situation, and I'm sure it's going to play out over the next couple of weeks. I did speak with Mary from the Adelaide United Supporters Group. She has put out a statement on their Facebook page basically saying that the Adelaide United fans are planning to stage a walkout at the 20-minute mark of the game against the Newcastle Jets on December 27th. Yeah, it's it's, it's certainly it's certainly making a statement, and you 
you can imagine a full stadium basically walking out. Wow, that's shouldn't happen. Yeah, shouldn't happen. It's, we do well at the World Cup. You think we could come back and maybe get a bit of momentum, a bit of, you know, hey, Craig Goodwin, come and, come and watch Craig Goodwin. The guy scored against France, yep. etc. Selling point, and they managed to bury themselves in five minutes. Unbelievable. Own goal. All right, mate, we're going to take another quick break. Once we come back, mate, we've got Sean Tasker from the Adelaide Footy Club and, and North Adelaide Footy Club as well with some very interesting conversation about head knocks and concussion as well as his career. You're listening to the Game On Podcast. We'll be right back after this short break. Has there ever been anything that has lightened up your day? Whether it was someone who complimented you or maybe you got a promotion at work, these all make you feel happiness. But if you're looking for more, more to lighten up your day, then you should book our mobile coffee service. We are always dedicated to one thing, service. We appeal to all sorts of people, from commuters on their way to work or our regular workplace coffee stops. And best of all, we visit you. Whether it's our top quality and aromatic coffee or our mouth-watering selection of cakes and food, there will always be something for you to enjoy. Servicing Adelaide's metro area. Why not book in a stop today? Find us on Facebook and send us a message. Tour Coffee and Catering. We deliver your daily caffeine fix. Past players. Past legends. Past legends. Tonight's guest, we welcome along Sean the Kid Tasker, 48 games for the Crows, 91 to 96, 114 games at North, 40 games as well. Then we've got Elgin Sturt, North Adelaide Premiership player in 1991, even though the Crows give you 87 as well, Tess, so congratulations on that. Claim that as well, mate. Actually, rule book, the stats are wrong because um, I actually was at the Adelaide Footy Club in 97. I didn't get the bullet until late October, so... They've even scabbed a year off me there, mate. Yeah, it's a bit rough. Yes, yeah. I'm sure you would have definitely dominated the the celebrations, Sean. Oh, I made the most of it, Rubble. Yes. Okay, let's go back to the beginning, uh, Sean. So, uh, junior at Torrens, and then obviously probably going to be my favourite part of the interview, uh, bobbing up at Adelaide Uni in 1986. What yes, a great mate. year, Sean. Go for it, mate. Yeah, it was um, it was pretty good in '86. Uh, Rule book, to be fair. Um, yeah, was a junior at West Torrens. Um, actually, mum and dad had the West Debbie Hotel, so I actually lived across the road from the from the Oval. So lived across the road from the Oval, uh, played juniors from 13s to 19s at West Torrens and got a bit disgruntled and wasn't sure where they were going. So I actually left there and got hooked up with Johnny Griffin and the boys at Adelaide Uni while I was doing year 12. So that's an interesting interesting take. And therefore, you blokes all called me the kid. Yes. I was uh, pretty happy with that, being Dermot Brereton's nickname at the time. Yeah, the kid, and ended yeah. up at Adelaide Uni playing. Um, most people think I was the full forward, but actually I was just one of the – I was a bit half forward, bit of forward pocket, bit of wing, to be fair, during the year. Because we had some – you know, correct me, Malcolm, but we had some superstars in that side. I remember Andrew Antonello – uh, Mick Eaton, Sandy Hancock, Keg Foster—they were all running around in the forward line as the big as the big go-to players. I know the Eckert was in the is in the in the forward pocket too. Yes, yes. Um, so it was um, it was a pretty star-studded lineup. Now, Pete, there was one thing. There were, well, Darren Foster actually bobbed up with four games to go. It was actually yeah. he rang me on the Saturday morning, and uh, so we'll thank Elaine uh, Daverin and all that for. Th- Things getting organised there from to play on that day. Yeah, he played reserves that day against uh, Hackney High Spock and then came in and, of course, uh, kicked the winning goal. The first time Adelaide Uni hit the front for the day was 30-odd seconds to go. And Correct, against the Riverside. Yes, uh, the late Brent Necker, um, I'm sure Sean will agree, a magnificent bloke, um, had missed a goal from 15 yards out for, to hit the front. So nose in his intimidable fashion. So they ended up six of us out on the uh, wicket at Adelaide Oval and burnt his boots in the middle of Adelaide Oval after. Oh wow! He did. And it was actually it was the first time I've, I'd seen a celebration of a grand final victory 
in the middle of an oval. Yes. I, I, I think the uh, AFL clubs have stolen that from the Adelaide University Blacks. I mean, his boots did with a. It was a different, a different sort of thing to do, and. Uh, the great man, Frederick Archibald Block, walked out and we were sitting there and obviously myself, a far better administrator than I was a player, and uh, had said, right, we've just beaten a club who spent $52,000 on player payments. And we all sort of looked at each other and just nodded and that's, for me, still one of my proudest moments. Wow. Yeah, I wasn't playing, but as an administrator, it was a, a huge buzz and, yeah, a couple of sensational days and uh, obviously helped a lot by your late father, Frank's... Uh, Help and then, uh, of course, at the Dover Hotel, Dover Castle. After that, Sean. So yes, great yeah, days. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was uh, there was some good. There were some good days of uh, of amateur league footy in those days, boys. And uh, it was it was great stuff. It was exciting. And um, you know, to be fair, we we probably played just as hard off the field as we did on the field in those Very days. Very much so. And then North Adelaide uh, <laughs> out, out to North and ending up in the original Crow squad, John, basically. Yeah. So. Getting to North Adelaide, well, that must have been, um, to be fair, the, the, the wonder the wonder trade of the Sandville days, which um, Michael Noon and Michael Flynn um, orchestrated, which was West Torrens gave up Johnny Roberts, Stephen Sims, Stephen Barrett, Sean Tasker, and West Torrens got Grenville Dietrich. And I think there was also some cash that Torrens paid North Adelaide as well. So... Let's be fair. Johnny Roberts goes on and kicks a hundred, and they yeah. win the win the flag in '87, and all four become premiership players. So it was a it was a hell of a coup. And, and to be fair, it was um it was a tough it was a tough journey to start with. <clears throat> Took a bit of time to, I suppose, settle in and and learn what was required to be a, a league footballer. But um, you know, once once I got going, I, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed it. And you know, to be fair, blokes like Daryl Hart. Craig Burton, Peter Bennett, um, Michael Redden, the, the senior Trevor Clisby, the senior players of the footy club at the time, and in the coach Mike Noonan was hard on me. To be fair, but I, I think that the hardness taught me what was required to play, and really enjoyed my um, my career at North Adelaide, which was great. And a, and a premiership there in '91 as well. Yes, yep, yep. Um, the '91 flag in the in the big Biffo game against West Adelaide. So yes, bloodbath. the bloodbath. Yeah. There, there was a bloodbath. Well, see, people people don't realise that, I know Simsy might have clocked Matty Simpson, but Matty Simpson played for us at the beginning of that year. Yes. So he was a North player who uh, left because I believe, you know, thought he should have got a game before some of our more senior Rovers. And uh, there was always going to be some sort of issue. But, um, you know, thank, thank God that was up the other end of the ground. And I was able to, Stand in the goal square next to Tony Modra and just watch the fireworks from afar. You would have done the classic Adelaide Uni move, wouldn't you, Sean? A brawl happening, one step forward, three steps back, mate. Oh, I think it was half a step forward and <laughs> ten back. Rule book, to be honest. I actually think at one stage I went to the canteen and got a hot dog just to spectate. <laughs> well, the ball wasn't down your end that often, but uh, you actually had a, in uh, fairness, you had a very good year after winning the goal kicking in North Adelaide <laughs> earlier on, and then a very good year at fullback, Sean. Yeah, it was a real, um, it was a real switch. I'd sort of played pretty much as a, a wing half forward forward in that in that beginning, and then actually we went to we went to Port Pirie to play the very first game of the nineteen ninety season, and we had a bunch of injuries. and And Mike, we played Port Adelaide actually. Mike stacked up the back half of the field with all the guys that had played previously, and all the newcomers sort of played forward. And I, I got plopped into the half back flank and had a bit of a day out. So. I sort of from then on, I sort of stayed in the stayed in the back line unless you know sometimes the coach would come and say, "I need a goal, so you're going forward, but most of the time i that was it for me. I'd become the um one of the key components of the back half for the roosters and then uh then the crows mate you're debuting against Collingwood in uh, ninety one and yeah. I noticed your original what? debut number was, was the Ruse number thirty two no, no, no. That's what I, it's I, saying in front of you on your on the Adelaide yeah, no, Footy no, Club. They're useless. No, they never. No, um, yeah. So my yeah, sorry, my debut as a player was thirty two. Yep. But my playing number was forty nine. Yep. But yeah, so on. Yeah, so make a make a debut. You go to Vic Park, Collingwood, get spat on by the fans as you come out of the race. <laughs> Mud, it's wet, it's it's shocking and. 
rolled up on um, Peter Dacos on debut in the first couple of minutes. So it was scary, exciting, but um, uh, what a hell of a what a hell of a debut. That's what I was actually going to ask. Yeah, where where wow. was it? Was it at home or away? But uh, you've put it very, very nicely there. Yeah, away no, big, wasn't big very park. nice. Yeah, Vic, Vic Park. It was um, unique. The funny thing is, when we got to the change rooms, I, I think it may have been Fitzroy Reserves were in there before us, and I still remember seeing Neil Curley picking up bags and throwing them to clear <laughs> to clear everything out so that we could have a space to um, to have our have our change room facility. So yeah, it was a bit of a Look, it's, you know, the, the suburban Victorian grounds of the old VFL slash early AFL days. Um, yeah, they were they were scary, but yeah, the parochial supporters. But, gee whiz, as a South Australian going over there to play for the Adelaide Crows, was, it was massive and it was exciting and uh, you, wouldn't, you wouldn't be dead for quids. It was just fantastic. What an opponent first up, though, yeah. Cass, too. Jeez. Yeah, yeah, Dakes. <laughs> Dakes first. Actually, I was pretty. I was pretty lucky because he took a one hander in. I think the first thirty seconds, and I was like, "Oh my god, this could be a nightmare." And he he's he's shanked the kick because we're in six feet of mud. So I was I was a bit lucky there. And then um, actually, Paul Williams was was running rampant, so I got I got flipped onto him pretty quick. So I'm thank God I didn't stand Dakes for too long. But um, yeah, when you when you roll out in the middle middle of Vic Park on the half forward line there for the Collingwood Pies and there's number 35, you get, oh, God, it's it's like a dream and a nightmare all rolled yeah, into one. That's yeah, that's a very good way of putting it, though. So, yeah. um, Sean, so basically you, nine games, 91, 13 actually, and 92 is the most you played in yeah. one, one year. You, you sort of were a bit unlucky that you never really hammered down a spot, sort of flick, you know. Yeah, look, interesting. Had a had a couple of... Um, pretty bad injuries sort of got go- got going uh the start of 90 you know once I got in the side 91 92 and then beginning of 93 and then I um I had um I hurt my ankle really badly a couple of times and that that put me behind the eight ball in that early part of the career and then there was a change nearly left actually Malcolm nearly left a couple of times in 90 g 90 Four ninety six, so nearly nearly got rolled out of there. Um, you know, a couple of offers from other clubs, but stuck around and thought, no, 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 this is my home. And then um, uh, started off with a bang with Robert Shaw. Played all the preseason with Shawy. Had some really good form, and then um, we played a trial game against the Eagles and um, had a, a nasty uh, collision where I. I smashed, I fractured my skull, my cheekbone, and That's right. yeah. had some real serious damage. So I didn't really play for, I think it was about 14, 15 weeks. So that that injury really, really caused me some caused me some grief to um, sort of back to find a spot. And by that stage, the you know the side had really moved on a bit without me. But I take solace in the fact that I I survived the purge when Malcolm came yes, along. Yes, that's he, true. He, he cleaned it out, and I survived that. But um, had a really good preseason under Malcolm and Neil, and you know Craigie was the, assist, the fitness guy and assistant there, I suppose, and felt really good in myself. And then um, tore a calf really badly right before round one, and that so to the point where I, I did it so badly, I did, I was no good for ten to twelve weeks. Right. So that really, and that stage by then the Adelaide Footy Club was up and firing, so I was pretty much a spectator by then. I do want to go back to 93, Sean, where I think you played one of your best games uh, in the finals against Carlton, and yep. you were just really unlucky. It was at Waverley, at just probably the shape oh, of Waverley, yeah. and you, you had about four kicks on the goal. Mark, yeah, three. yes. A couple of teammates could have put the shepherd on in the square, Malcolm. Yes, uh, yes. A couple but, of marks on the line. Like you <laughs> Rule book, you would have been good on the shepherd in the square. Yeah, I might have done the squirrel grip to make sure it went through, mate. Um I do remember the next week, uh, Sean. I don't know if you can remember walking up to me at the uh, pub after well, the Crows had lost the prelim. And, uh, yes, it was an interesting conversation with you that you weren't entirely complimentary of uh, Graham Corns. Uh, yes. No. Yes. Uh, no, I do remember vi- vividly that day. Well, well he, he had a go. He had a dip. <laughs> he had a dip, Malcolm. And I didn't play in the um, – Yeah. He left me out of the prelim and played some injured blokes who actually – 
I suppose, didn't get through the game. And, you know, you, you die and live by your decisions, and that was his decision. And at half time, the footy club was up by, you know, six, seven points, goals yeah. on, on their way. So everything was rosy. But, um, yeah, I was a bit I was a bit irked with the fact that I'd, I'd found form. I was playing really good footy. He um, got his nose out of joint because we sort of, he said we'd been out afterwards, but we, we'd actually been to the, to be fair, we'd been to the Grand for dinner with, you know, there would have been eight or nine players at that, at that spot at the time. And I sort of got a, got a spray from Graham post the Essendon game and I didn't play. And I was like, well, I'm not sure how that becomes my fault that we lost when I actually wasn't partaking in the game. So, yeah, that's, uh, you know, that's, I don't, I don't hold a grudge Graham anymore over that stuff. That's his decision. He's the coach and, you know, that is a decision. But at the, at the time, I was really, really miffed because I thought I was actually contributing to the team quite well in, the, in those couple of games I played. And in that prelim, we have to ask, uh, is the rumours true that Bickley uh, <laughs> let go? Were you there or did, well, you, think, hear, did you hear about it? I think, I think Bix has always had a loose bowel. <laughs> so, you know, mind you, there's a couple of David, I'll tell you a story. David Pittman dropped the fart. We lost to Collingwood one one day, and David Pittman's dropped the fart post Cornsey's berating, and I've and I've giggled, I've giggled because it was the stinkiest thing I've ever I've ever read. And he's blown, he's, Graham's blowing me up again, and I'm like, gee whiz, mate, if you're sitting next to me, cop this, you'd be laughing too and trying to get out. So it was a, it was, a, it was definitely a, sometimes it was funny, but um, there was always a consequence. So, the, so your AFL career then, after your AFL career, you sort of became a bit of a journeyman. Sean, was just one of those things or say cynical oh, nooks? No, there? not really. I look at, interesting, interesting by-play on a couple of the moves. Um, people people forget, as a, as a little, little fella, my dad was a Glenelg vice president, so I grew up as a little fella running around the Glenelg club rooms and footy club. And actually, to take it back a bit further, before I went to North Adelaide, I actually had a meeting with Graham about coming to Glenelg. So I'd always had a soft spot for the Tigers from a family perspective through my father. Yep. And then pretty much at the time when I got to the end of North Adelaide, everyone that I'd sort of played with in that era had left. You know, that there was a real changing of the guard. You didn't train you didn't train with the Sandful Club. You trained pretty much full time with the AFL Club. Yeah. So I was sort of trying to work around what's my next move if things go pear shaped. To be fair, and I'd sort of Adrian Batterson had taken over as general manager of the Glenelg Footy Club, and he he'd come and had a couple of chats to me. And I was working at St Peter's College at the time, and Alan Stringer had also he was going over there with Wayne to have a take on the coaching role so I just thought well maybe you know this is this is a time for time for some change and I've always been you know I, 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 I can't sit still it's just the way in my nature so I thought of well maybe that and they'd sold it to me that we were going to you know play some young kids and get things real vibrant again and get the club back up to where it should be and and I really and to be fair I really enjoyed it we you know they they we're true to their word. They played young Chad Corns, uh, young Matty Bode. The Ottens boys played. There were some kids and some experienced players. Myself, young Rouvray, but Paul Rouvray were there. Yeah. Alan Bartlett, Chiggy, Simon Hill. So we had a real good blend of experience and youth. And we we beat the good teams that we lost to the weaker teams. And in the end, and in the end, it all blew up because the Stringer boys got booted out. And then Tony came in and. And it just sort of got changed on its ear a bit. That was all. And then out to Sturt. Oh, yeah. Well, I, well technically, what, what happened at the end of my first year with Tony, I just I just had enough. I was worn out. So I, I pretty much made my mind up that I'm not I'm not bothering with this anymore. I had a gutsful. So, you know, I think I was 32. So I'd had enough. So I'd, I'd walked. And then Graham Dunstan actually came and said, look, we're looking for someone just to play in a forward pocket and kick some, kick a couple of goals. You know, we can do a deal. Would you come over? So I didn't, I didn't lob at Sturt until sort of late January-ish. That probably didn't help me. And I was still, I was still carrying a couple of niggles. 
And yeah, look, I thoroughly enjoyed. Like, I really enjoyed my time at Sturt. It was it was actually a huge buzz playing for the Double Blues. But that, but actually, um, about three quarters to nine tenths through the year, I actually landed badly and broke. I actually broke my leg, so I missed. I missed right at the tail, and then I didn't really start back into the pre-season until the sort of middle of the December, and I, I was really sore. I was one of those ones where I'd, I'd train and go home, and my leg would swell up like a balloon. Yep. So I was, I was busting my butt to try to have some success, but I, I played the first couple of games at the Double Blues, and it was just things were no good. I didn't feel right, so I, I just in the end I just went to Phil Carmen and said, "Look, I'm, and Graham and said, "Look, this is I, I'm I'm done. I'm cooked." And I just pulled the pin on it. I'd had enough. And life was changing. I was married. We were having our first child with young Sam. So I was like, yeah, that's, that's enough for me. I've had a good run. And then after that, you, I know you ended up, you were Pulteney, obviously, at that stage with work, but ended up then to Brisbane? Yes. Yep. I um, was director of sport and activities at Pulteney for a while. And then I took a job and went to Toowoomba and Toowoomba Grammar in in uh, good old Queensland, inland Queensland, and had a wonderful time in, in Toowoomba at um, TGS. What, if anyone's ever been that way, you go to Brisbane, do yourself a favour and head into the Toowoomba area and the Darling Downs was, um, was magnificent. Met some really nice people, had a great time there and then, and then got, into, um, got into Brizzy at, um, I was the Director of Sport and Activities at Anglican Church Grammar School. So I had a, had a, Five and a bit year stint there, so you know, really nearly ten years I've been in um, been in Queensland. Yeah, I knew you were there for a fair while, and obviously I had the pleasure of a, one of your of your cults with uh, Sapsazo. It was enjoyable time with Weathers. Yeah, and I young Sam that. was in yeah. the east East Adelaide region yes. with you for the while with Weathers. Yes, yes, Weathers and I did that together for a fair while. Yep. We had a bit of success there, which is uh, something we enjoyed enjoyed immensely. Did did coaching ever sort of tickle your fancy? I did a bit of um, coaching with the school. I looked after the Holtley First 18 for a little bit and coached a few footy teams in the Darling Downs. We, we, the Darling Downs had the school had their team, so I coached them for a while. But um, I was already uh, more committed in – got three young teenage boys, three boys, so you've got to get them around. And, and my job at the time, the, the director of sport role in Queensland is, is full – like it's full-time. It's seven days a week. so. Having the the freedom to coach when in Queensland, it, it was never going to be there because of the role I was in in my in my workspace. Now, Sean, you you moved back to Adelaide uh, and that, and uh, lads out at your lads uh, out at North Adelaide uh, and that. I got um, two lads at North Adelaide. Yeah, Will's Will's been playing some reserves footy, and young Tom's been playing in the 16s, and he'll be in the 18s this year coming. And of course, superb commentary one game where. As Vicky, you're better, definitely better halves that you didn't expect to ever get a mention on a on a commentary with the son of the air, air hostess burst through the middle. That's of, right. That's right. Fun. Oh, she's got two Good now. <laughs> so a bit of fun there. Now, Sean, apart you know, apart from your career, you know, obviously chatting about your career on that side of it, you now got a very very responsible role with concussion. Really go through that with us, uh, please, Sean. Yeah. So. Um, a bit of background, in my role at Churchy, I was part of a group called the Rugby Review Group, and we were looking at ways of making schoolboy rugby safer. And in that, in that space, I came across this group called um, Neuroflex. And what Neuroflex is and does, it's, a, it's technology measuring vestibular ocular motor screening. And what we look at is eye tracking technology so the head the brain and the eyes work together and we're looking at the reflexes of when there's an impairment so we we use neuroflex for baseline screening of vestibular ocular motor screening and then when there's a, so we have a nice baseline of of a brain of a brain yep. and then when there's an impairment we can retest using the neuroflex platform and the testing suite takes about 15 minutes and then we get some really good objective data to compare your impairment to your baseline. And what we do is we work in that return to play, return to work, return to school space, where we can track the individual's brain health as they are recovering. And then we can see when they are getting back to their, their normative range and their baseline to say, look, you know, your, your brain's functioning in the right frame and you, you, know, you should be comfortable to go back and play in your contact sport 
if you want to. And that's and that's where I've been working in that space for you know two and a half years now. And we um you know we've done some great things in that in that space. And we work along groups like NeuroCare, Unley Physiotherapy Group in Adelaide, Advanced Neuro Rehab Group with Dr. James McDonald, uh, James McLaughlin, who's who's been fantastic for us. So you know they use Neuroflex within their within their practices and their clinical support as well. So it's it's been um it's been a huge huge roller coaster ride, and we and we've become a bit global, Malcolm. To be fair. So, so Sean, where do you see it going? Do you, you know? Okay, we have talked about it during the season and all that side of things. Do you think that it will become longer than the current uh, range at AFL to automatically miss? Look, Malcolm, it's an interesting one. <clears throat> what I'm seeing from what's going on, and I'll, I'll clarify wh- where we are too. What I'm seeing in the States, because Neuroflex is being used in quite a lot of the NCAA colleges over there in Canada, I'm starting to see a real move towards technology in, you know, let's be honest, FIFA World Cup is using Neuroflex. Leicester City, the EPL club, they use Neuroflex. World Rugby use Neuroflex. Irish Rugby Union use Neuroflex. Uh, you know, there's some good stuff coming out around some rugby and some rugby league that use Neuroflex. There's some serious groups around Australia that use Neuroflex from clinical for clinical support. I think what's going to happen is we're going to see the time frame. Each sport has a different protocol. That's what I. That's the thing I, I don't understand as an ex-player how one sport can have 12 days, 14 days, mm. 16 days, 19 days, seven days. It, it's, it's a bit crazy. And I think, but each individual is different. So I understand it may take someone seven days to recover, but it may take someone three to six months to recover. Yeah. So I think there has to be better, better research and better work around the return to play. I think return to play is, is critical. Now I want to, I want to make this, this pretty clear. A concussion is a concussion, a brain impairment, a, a traumatic brain injury is, a, is an injury. Doctors do their doctors their, their bit. They are the ones that are the experts. I have no problems with that. That's their job. They know that better than I do. No problems at all. But to provide some objective data that helps in their decision-making around return to play, I think that's going to be the critical piece moving forward. Yep. Now that makes sense. Well, I'm trying. And, and I'll just and I'll add to that too. We, I'm starting to find that I'm being approached by lots of schools nationally that want to do work around um, brain health and brain health performance. And there's a there's a key role to this around their return to school. There's a lot of a lot of um, children have an impairment just in the school playground. I think 30% of concussions happen in the playground. And there's a real need for, I suppose, education and support for teachers and staff in schools around when a, when a student's had an impairment, what do we do to help them so that they can get the best out of themselves with their education? And you think about parents in private schools now, they're paying really big money for their, for their, for their son or daughter to be educated by these particular institutions. That's, yeah, that's a... An eye opener to uh, that sort of that stat, Sean. I admit I didn't realise it was anywhere near that high. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, that's the you know the current data is showing twenty five to thirty percent of those um, concussions in schools aren't happening in the contact sport. They're happening in the in the playgrounds, just in the school day. Huge. Is that is that something uh, talking about different sports? But is that something that's going to be adopted nationally through some national bodies? Well, I think so. I think we were just um, the concussion sport group just had their big meeting in Amsterdam, and I know that you know SCAT, what is it, SCAT seven now, or you know, it just keeps changing, is coming out. So they'll they'll bring the new SCAT out. But I, I think there's a real push, and I, I did read in the um, Australian Sports Commission, um, there's a real push towards better use of technologies. And I think that if the technology's there, then use it try to embrace the technology, it's it's going to be value-added to whatever decision-making processes you've got in play now. It's going to help with that whole decision-making. And it's such a... It's a huge area. It's... Um, yeah. Oh, certainly, Malcolm, I, I certainly, you know, I'm, I'm probably passionate on this, but I, yep. 
I've got three three boys and I've got two still playing. And I can tell you now, my boys have had a baseline screen. And if they have a head knock, well, I, I know for a fact, young Will, he missed an extra week because he had a concussion during the year in 2022. And he missed an extra week because it, he wasn't ready. Yep. You know, he could have played, but it wasn't a case of could have. It was a case of, no, we're just going to hold on and make sure you're right to go. Yep. And that and that decision-making as a, as a Neuroflex employee is right, but as a parent, that's that's critical for my son's brain health moving forward. And it is an area too. Where it used to be the old days it was, you know, smelling salts. Oh. Macca, Macca was a regular, obviously. Gary McIntosh probably as much as anyone. The, one of oh. the tra- they had the tra- smelling salts and then bang, back out and play. Yeah. You know. Um, yeah. Malcolm, I remember getting cleaned up on Norwood Oval by Tommy Warhurst. Yes. Having the best vomit I've ever had. I got to the boundary line and got told, if you come off now, you never play again. And Daryl Hart took me back and propped me up in the goal screen and said, just stand here for the rest of the game. I went home as sick as a dog, but, you know, trained the next week and played again. It just yeah. That's the way it was in the old yeah. days. Very much so. And we've we've moved beyond that. We've moved beyond that. Thank goodness. Well, we've had a couple of guests on our show that have uh, gone off to get their brains uh, scanned because of all of those concussions that they've had as well. So, yeah, it's a huge topic, and, and we certainly like hearing about it, that's for sure. Yeah, it's um, – well, I think we're, we're hearing more about it and because people are recognising the dangers of, of, of too many head knocks and we've seen what was going on with people that have donated their brains and – you know, CTEs showing up in their autopsies, and you know we don't know about CTE until they have that autopsy and their their brains are cut open. So everyone is is aware of it. Everyone's trying to be cautious and put safety protocols in place. And you know we certainly we certainly have a role to play in that space. I will be honest. Uh, Mater Block has spoken to me about chakra in that regard as well. It's uh, I can assure you that Mater will be being sent this uh, interview, Sean. So yeah, thank you. No worries. Look, greatly appreciated, Task. You know, it was a serious. It's a you know, obviously wanted to cover your playing career and and all that. But yeah, the concussion side of thing is only an area which is, you know, we're slowly learning more and more, and it, it is a vital area. You know, spoken to Win, Johnny Wynn about polypharma, which came out afterwards, and Michael yep. H covered it yes. uh, with with his, and it, it's a massive issue. So greatly appreciated, Sean. No, no worries, boys. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Thank you for joining us tonight. That's yeah, a real eye-opener for sure. My pleasure. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Matt. Thanks, Task. Welcome back. We've just been speaking with Sean Tasker and certainly some uh, his playing career was fantastic, you know, obviously part of the Crows' inaugural squad. But more importantly, his work on concussion. It's an, Look, it's an issue which is only getting bigger and bigger as gradually more and more information and education is coming through. It is the biggest issue for sport, facing sport in the future. I don't. I think there's a lot of people and a lot of naive people still out there, and the information is coming through, and it will be a longer time, and it, it's got to be with not playing. Absolutely, and, and we've spoken with Aishi, and and you know he said he's having some tests, and I think KT's involved with that as yeah. well. And Sean was very passionate about it, and you can certainly see why it's it's a an area that's needs a lot of attention and as he mentioned I think off air you know that his sons you know had a concussion protocol last yeah. year and just just held him off for a little bit longer which was the right thing to do not only as a parent but as a, a neuroscientist yeah someone who's probably had more knowledge in the area than probably the club so yes, yeah, yeah absolutely look, Sean was being responsible there you know as a parent as a footy nut as well so absolutely. No, greatly appreciated so, and look, that was part of why we got Sean on, the concussion issue. So, yeah, greatly appreciated. We've got a couple of names to follow up there yeah. as well that, that Sean's passed on and, and we'll probably go into a bit more depth, especially with the concussion protocols. Definitely. Liking this podcast? Please like, rate and subscribe. Happy Days. All right, mate, to kick off Happy Days today, we're going to stick with the cricket theme pretty much all through most of Happy Days today. But this week in 1959, Greg Matthews, happy birthday. The all-rounder, 33 tests, 61 wickets, four 100s, born in Newcastle, New South Wales. Great Con- player. Controversial cat, Greg Matthews, but he was certainly 
uh, a good batsman in terms of, I think, if he'd been supported more, he was probably a little bit like Peter Sleep, needed more support, needed more belief inside him, that his bowling would have been better as well. Yep. So, yeah. Absolutely. This week in 1892, now we've had to go right back with the history books here, but the first Sheffield Shield match is between South Australia and New South Wales at the Adelaide Oval. South Australia winning by 57 runs. Should have called it off there and then. Should have. That'll do us. There were only three teams in the... Doesn't matter. (laughs) There were only three teams in the Sheffield Shield in 1892 and 93 season. New South Wales, Victoria and South Australia. Victoria ended up winning the series for nothing, I think it was. But South Australia actually did pretty well. They had the leading batsman and leading run scorer for the the tournament as well. So... Well, I've been only saying we've been having a bad millennium. So there you are. We're we're due for a bit of a turnaround, but yes. yeah, no first one for yeah. the for the South Australian New South Wales. Interesting. This week in 1927, Donald Bradman makes his first class debut against South Australia. Finished the day at a respectable 65 not out. Incredible that how are we to know that effectively the greatest cricketer or the greatest batsman ever, um, yeah, and ending up playing for South Australia. Crazy uh, how it all swings in yes. roundabouts. And, mate, to finish off this week in Happy Days, in 1988 and 89, so a bit of a double header here, Germany defeat Sweden back-to-back Davis Cup finals. Germany winning in 88-4-1 and 3-2 and 89. Um, classic players back then. Yeah, uh, were the great days. You're looking at Becker and Edberg and Willander yeah. and, and, you know, all the top names in tennis. And amazing that they, they play back-to-back finals. Yeah. No, that was huge. That was back when the old-style Davis Cup. Yeah, we all knew it. Home ground advantage, yeah. uh, five-set ties, five-set matches, five yeah. ties in, in a rubber. So, yeah, huge, huge effort from Germany back in 88, 89. All right, mate, let's scoot into the extra time. Extra time. Big finish. Mate, we talked a little bit of cricket earlier on, but more from a little bit of a local point of view. But we'll talk about the Test cricket, Australia and West Indies. Australia, emphatic winners. I've got to be honest, I was there Sunday. It was probably as deflating big win. It was just ho hum. It was just having a chat amongst people and bowling them out for seventy-seven. Yeah, you know, you expected it to go a couple more hours than what it did. Scott Boland, obviously, the night before, put the fear into them once yeah. again and. And Australia ripped through them quite early on Sunday. As I said, I, I know the line I've already used it once, grain of salt, but your West Indies were that bad. Let's just wait and see against South Africa. Absolutely. Travis Head, an amazing 12, 18 months that he's having. Especially at home. Yes. Uh, it's been very much at home. Player of the series you know, against England in the Ashes. The first two tests here, mind you, Braithwaite and Chase are spinners and, you know, a bit like batting against you and me, mate. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so that, but yes, he has been very good back here. He's got to go to India and make some and succeed in India. There's still a big question mark yep. against spin, good quality spin away. So that that's going to be the test for him. I, I watched a bit of the commentary. Ricky Ponding was talking about Travis Head's improvement in technique, confidence that's been shown in him. Yes, you can only play against who you can play against, and he's certainly taken his game to another level and. Uh, Ricky pointed out a few things with his technique in what was happening two or three years ago versus what's happening now. And a yeah, big change that certainly uh, got him on the front foot a hell of a lot more and it's making him play that more aggressive style of, of play. Oh, I, don't think, I don't think aggression's ever been the problem. He's just probably a little bit straighter, a little bit more percentage, still yep. smashes that ball square. He's never going to change in that regard. And look, if you manage to catch one of his hits square, well, you're doing pretty well generally. So absolutely, yeah. amateur league, mate. Yeah, well, we're we're early into the season. Well, sorry, early into the preseason for a lot of amateur league clubs, and we'll obviously talk about the amateur league as the winter season rolls around. But you know, they've started to uh, they've started their preseasons. A lot of the male teams, but little story that was circulating in the local presses here that a legend has come back to his local club not to coach a men's senior team but a women's senior team. Well, he has been at Payne for 14 odd years now so it's not sort of coming back yep. and he's always been pretty heavily involved in the women's side of things. Yep. And we're talking about Gary McIntosh yeah. here so Mac has you know, sort of put his hand up to coach the women's. Yeah look I think he's probably sort of as a reserves coach um, it's a hard gig in that way, and he also mate, 
tempted not to tread on people's toes and all that. So, look, the Macintosh family, basically, if you turn up at Paynham and there's not a Maca, Macintosh present, ring the police and put yep. in a missing persons report. Yep. Um, he is remarkable. I watched him one night at Paynham kicking with a young girl. He'd obviously never kicked a footy before, and he was just so patient. He was with her for over an hour, and, yeah, Oh, it's just great! Like it's just great to see these local local players heading back to their local amateur clubs, and we've got a little bit of a segment coming up in the in next week actually about some of those players that have gone from either an SNFL club or from an AFL club right back to their local clubs, and having a little bit of a look at that and and who's around. But you know, it's just great that he's not only coached their men's side and to a pretty successful period. All premierships, yeah, for Paynham Nord Union, he's now putting his hand up to, and doing a little bit of work with the women's. I thought that's fantastic. He is a unique individual, Gary. Certainly. Mate, we move on to basketball. The men's basketball team, the 36ers, yeah, once again, just not quite getting it done. That inconsistency word keeps coming up. Oh, look, I think it's been a, you know, the Randall situation was always probably never going to settle down after that. Yeah, just... just there has been that missing piece of the puzzle yeah. almost all year long that, you know, whenever they look like they're up and about, it's it's something's tripped them up and then something else has happened and then, you know, they, they get off to a bad start a couple of weeks ago against the Taipans. They come home like a freight train and win in fantastic circumstances and you thought, oh, well, maybe that little bit of confidence, but it just hasn't transferred. Mate, the women's basketball team, we had a little bit of a look at their table at the moment. They're sitting mid-table after seven games. Yeah, so it's still a wait and see probably on that one. Some home games coming up as well. Um, you know, we'll keep a bit of an eye on that as well. But, you know, interesting that they've they've at least got off to a good start. They're, they're around the mark. Yeah, maybe. I look. Also, I wish there was as much local sport in the advertiser as there used to be. I think it's harder to follow in general. Look, you know, the fiasco with district cricket, with their system, with what they've signed up for not working. Yep. And it's, you know... It's almost like you've won cross lotto to get the to get district cricket scores and yep. so, you know women's basketball. It was always in the advertiser. You knew where they were go, where they where the lightning were, yep. and you know it was you know Rachel and all that with the lightning. There was big support there, and it's it's sort of fallen away. Yeah, I just think quite a lot. Yeah, I, again, it's just for me, it's harder to follow, and that's even as a sports nut. Yep. I know, well, part of my job here is to try and research as much as possible and, and it's been fun and games trying to get yeah. some of that information out. Um, but we'll we'll endeavour to keep doing it for sure. Yeah. Uh, MLB, mate. Yeah, mate, we head overseas for the baseball. It's off-season at the moment or free agency and trade season. Some figures that are being bandied around for some of these players for not only a couple of years, they're changing clubs for a couple of years, but the big one, and Aaron Judge from the New York Yankees, halfway through the year, he's obviously a free agent. They put a contract to him for $213.5 million. He says, no, I'm going to hold tight until the free agency period. A couple of clubs were certainly in the picture to secure his services. He holds out, and finally New York come to the party with a nine-year contract for $360 million. Just obscene. The amount of money, and we, we talked about this, I think, in one of our early episodes with Shahan Atani signing a $500 million contract for 10 years or 11 years or something crazy like that. The money that gets bandied around is huge. But you've also got to look at it too that, you know, in nine years' time, the $360 million divided over those nine years is probably not going to be a top 10 player payment with the way things are going as it is. Yeah, I just hate how much poverty there is in the world and then... Sports payments, I'm not, yeah, I'm really... It's not, it's uncapped. So, you know, this is the crazy thing about it. You're seeing these numbers and every day you're just hearing and going, wow, how can that player get that for two years, three years? You know, that's that's crazy. Absolutely crazy. Yeah, bit of taste personally. Absolutely. Mate, we'll go back to cricket again, but this time the women's cricket. Yeah, it's been fantastic over in India so far. Big crowds. Huge crowds. Super over. Yeah, it's been, it's been remarkable look pete there's a question here you've got one more innovation can you add to cricket to make these games more exciting not so much for me more exciting quicker yes so why are we changing ends after every over you know when you're thinking of the big bash why not play at the very minimum four lots of five so you're bowling five overs at the same end okay so we, we get rid of all that time yes of the fielders dashing around changing 
So at least that way, and there's no reason why you couldn't even just bowl even 10 overs from one end then 10 from the other. It's yeah, an interesting concept. I hadn't actually thought of it that way. My big one would probably be there is no more exciting than a super over and certainly the more of that style of cutthroat final overs that you can implement would be would be a magnificent. Oh, I think at 2020 level, yes, yeah, definitely. Absolutely. absolutely. Oh, know. I'm not saying this for yeah. test and, and yeah. the 50s, no, definitely. 50, no, even 50 over, I, I wouldn't be against I'm not against it in, in the 50 either. Yep. Um, but no, not test cricket. Mate, to finish out today, the AFLW... Rising Star Award local player Hannah Ewings. Yeah, good result for Port Adelaide. Yeah, um, you know, she I think she was number one draft choice overall. A very good year. You know, probably makes Crow's effort probably a little bit even better when you think of it. All of a sudden, split in half almost, and lost a fair, lost a few, and that probably just took that little bit of an edge. It probably you know did lower them down a spot or two. Yep. So just. How it ended up. Yeah, obviously Port Adelaide had a reasonably toughish start to their AFL career and to have a rising star come out of that I think would be a big tick for their program. Obviously she played at North Adelaide, I believe, last year and then had some fantastic games, uh, obviously, in the SNFL last year but then backed it up this year in the AFL, which was fantastic. And, mate, just to finish off, I thought this one might interest you being an ex-umpire or a current umpire in some respects, somewhere, somehow. So umpiring rising star, a young lady from South Australia. Yeah, look, Georgia Henderson, so congratulations to her. Look, Alini Guftis was earmarked a long time ago, and I'll be honest, I think it was an under-18 game, went along to have a look, ended up, this is when Jimmy Rowe was playing under-18, so we are going back a few years, sitting with Rowie and... uh, Andrew and Andrew Pascoe with Lenny his with his Colt playing, and the word was around there. We got told then, hey, this lady will be the first AFL female umpire, and it was spot on, spot on. Yep. Yeah. Well, I think she's certainly following in her footsteps. The criteria obviously is less than twenty games. She was a reserve umpire for the Brisbane Adelaide prelim final up up at Metricon Stadium. That's a huge tick in her first year to, to be on that reserve list, but also to, to win the the award. Certainly heading in the right direction. And it's also important for, you know, young ladies to get into umpiring. You know, certainly the more umpires, the better, keeping the game obviously moving forward. Yep. Look, I, I'm a big fan of playing and playing first and then umpiring, but yes, we do need umpires. Absolutely. We don't want to be losing them any more than what we already have. All right, mate, that brings us to the end of a pretty big episode. We had Sean Tasker on a little bit earlier on. We we obviously covered the the BBL cricket, which you're heading to tonight, and the baseball, which I'm heading to on Friday night. So fingers crossed the teams get across the line this weekend. Yeah, and, and Sean Tasker was very interesting about concussion. I think Absolutely. That's a, it was fascinating. He also gave us yeah. some, some additional names to follow up, some doctors that are well-renowned here in South Australia. And just to finish off, mate, we do apologise for last week's episode. It was a little bit late in being posted, but we also had some audio issues as well, which I believe we've sorted out this week. So it should be coming through crystal clear. And as usual, mate, we promise to do better next week. And unfortunately, a lot of Facebook problems at my end still will have streamlined it a bit. Anyone now, my my new Facebook page is Malcolm Rulebook Ashwood. So block Malcolm Ashwood, where I've been hacked and do a friend request to Malcolm Rulebook Ashwood. All right, mate. We'll catch you next week for our last live episode for 2022. Over the Christmas break, we plan on doing a couple of reviews on our interviews that we've had with some of our outstanding past players and stars. I think we can still have some fun, mate. Absolutely. In this crazy world we live in, we all need the distraction. Enjoying the show? Like, rate, and subscribe. Hook up and connect with us on social media at SportsCast SA. We'll see you next time on Game On.